0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Hey guys, welcome again to the Folk Hunting Podcast. The Focus Hunting Podcast is brought to you by the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. For more information on Waypoint, make sure you head on over to their uh, webpage at uh, www.waypointtv.com. On this episode, I'm joined by Kevin Tim. He's the uh, he's the founder of Seek Outside. Now, if you guys aren't familiar with Seek Outside, make sure you head on over to uh, their webpage. It's www.seekoutside.com. Kevin and I, we talk about his, uh, his revolutionary um, tent system, which what they've done is they've taken a lightweight backpack tent and they've integrated a, a wood-burning stove into it. Real cool stuff. They also got... Uh, they also make some real high-end, real nice, real light, real durable packs. Um, so we talk all about that. We also talk about how, how this all got started. Yeah, real cool, interesting stuff here. So hope you guys like it. Now, what I got here, guys, is I got uh, I got a bunch of extra, uh, well, actually not extra, but I just have uh, I got a double order of shirts made. So what I'm going to be doing is every episode, I'm going to be giving away hats and t shirt or sorry, t-shirts and stickers. Um, for this episode, all you got to do is go on over to um, Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Make sure you leave me uh, a five-star review. Um, subscribe, and I will get a hold of you, and I will get out uh, a T-shirt and a sticker sent to you guys. So cool stuff there if you guys want some free swag and a free sticker. Uh, for, the, for those of you who don't have Apple, uh, don't worry. I'll get something out to you guys uh, next episode. Uh, this episode of the Folk Selling Podcast is brought to you by Vortex Optics Canada. Vortex Optics is, in my opinion, the very best in the business, bar none. Okay, today I'm joined by Kevin Tim, founder of Seek Outside. How you doing today, Kev?
2: Good, yourself?
1: Good, good, man. Where, uh, where are we hitting you up from today?
2: Um home base in western colorado um where i would love to see some rain because our fire danger is high and you know while i love sunny days i dislike for big forest fires
1: so. yeah yeah uh, up here in south central british columbia we're in the midst of a heat wave ourselves so um yeah i think uh, all over the west is struggling and and yet we're mm-hmm. all all of us are pretty familiar with forest fires There. They're no good. No. Yeah. So uh, Seek outside is is well known for both their packs and their tents. Um, mm-hmm. You guys make a lightweight tent with a wood stove, very popular with backpack hunters, and uh, you know for good reason. I've got a chicken before the egg question here. What came first, the backpacks or the tents?
2: The tents came first um, by about three years. Um, that being said. You can find some comments online that say, as good as our tents are, our backpacks are even better. I actually generally agree with that. I'm not trying to be, uh, not trying to be an excessive promoter or salesman. Um, but our packs took a entirely different concept. Um, our tents over the time have have evolved into being fairly unique as well. I mean, they started, unique, but I mean, now we have zipperless designs and things that we've patented and that are involved and stuff as well. So, and then our stoves kind of came along with the tents.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard, uh, heard a lot of good, uh, stuff about your, your backpacks. Um, watched a lot of reviews and, uh, you know, I'm kind of a, a backpack junkie. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of those. Yeah. Definitely. So uh, maybe you can just share with us the uh, Genesis story behind seek outside and and how the tents all got started.
2: It's not some grand thing, right? I mean, people think there was some mastermind and some business plan that told you we'd be where we are 10 years after the fact, um, I would, I would be lying my ass off. Right. Um, how it really started was I was snowshoeing, Thinking about challenges that I had in hunting camp, but it was in the deep of winter. And I thought, man, too bad you couldn't have like a, a teepee made out of parachute material and that you could run a fire of some sort in, right? And you would be able to uh, have a much more comfortable camp. At the time, our climate was, I would say, fairly different. Uh, most times, uh, while Colorado is known for being dry and always sunny, um, most times there was not a hunting season I would spend out without having some combination of sleet, snow, rain for a couple days on end to make you miserable. Maybe you had some nice days mixed in, but it, it wasn't like you were sitting on a beach in 75 degree weather waiting for elk to prance by you, uh, at all. You know, um, you you could freeze your tail off out there. Um, so I had that idea, went home, told my wife and she said, that's stupidest thing I ever heard. So leave it to my wife to, uh, to, uh, knock me down a notch. She seems pretty good at that at times. So we went with that. Uh, I, I started kind of begging, right? I mean, not like begging, but like, Hey, I think we should try just see what we think. Maybe we can make one. First one we made was um, not compelling. It looked like a witch's hat because I figured the geometry wrong, wrong a little bit. Second one we made was actually much better. Um, the third one we made, actually we started using. We started taking it out family camping and it kind of grew from there. About a year or so later, we started selling them online. We by that time we'd made some bigger ones, some smaller ones. Uh, we almost had a little personal army of tents. And, um, uh, I mean, that's maybe a little bit of a exaggeration, but we had three or four of different sizes that we were using ourselves. Right. I made us, we'd made a small backpacking one. We made a bigger family shelter, um, some stuff like that. Um, and so that was really, um, the Genesis of it. Our first sale, was to Canada Um, nothing was ever really simple when we started Um, you know it would have been so nice to sell a tent to someone around the corner but our first um, sale was to someone who lived at the end of the ice highway in Northwest Territories so then we had the fun of trying to figure out how to ship something there (laughs) Um, and that was about it Um, after that we found we did find found it um, with our own money, not a great deal of money, um, but some money that we had saved. Um, it wasn't particularly easy in the early going, um, but it's come a long ways, and it's definitely um, grown quite a bit. We now have two different locations: one's eight thousand square feet, one's nine thousand and some change, um, and we've grown quite a bit and you know, we, th- this year we can sell all the product we can make. I mean, it's, it's, it's not hard. Uh, we have, if nothing else, we have a couple big international, um, retailer or distributors that will take anything extra that we make if we wanted them to, so, um, I would, it's all been, it's all been good after kind of a little bit of a trying start.
1: Yeah, definitely. What year was this when you, when you had the epiphany? to uh, make a tent
2: it was probably 2009 or 2010 it was one of those years right oh yeah Um, i would have to go back and dig up photos of early testers and stuff like that and find myself winter camping and one and stuff like that to be more precise yeah
1: over a decade though you've been uh, yeah
2: yeah it's been been
1: plugging away yeah so what did you do before uh before you got into making tents and backpacks
2: I was actually a computer security researcher at a big tech company. Cool.
1: That's so, quite the uh, uh, career change.
2: You know, it's funny. I had a, uh, discussion a few years ago at SHOT Show with Joe, I think his name was Satterini or something. He was, I think president or founder of 0.0 productions, which did like, um, does like Anthony Bourdain it did meat eater, all those things. Right. And somehow we got to talk, we were hanging out at the Kimber booth, drinking beer. and Somehow we got to talking about my different career paths. And I've had very varied work experiences, um, but they aren't as giant of a jump off as they really seem to be, right? Um, You know, at one point I made very highly regarded guitar amplifiers back in the 90s, right? I designed these amplifiers and stuff like that. You can probably find my name associated with some. Um, And then at some point, I got married, had kids, had to support the family, right? And I decided making money off of, uh, you know, broke musicians wasn't really that good of a career choice. Um, And frankly, most of those, high-end amplifiers sell the doctors, lawyers, collectors, stuff like that. And sometimes my amps still show up at guitar shows. Um, I've seen people send me photos of them and they'll say like extremely rare and stuff like that. Um, but there's more in common than you think, right? Because a lot of it is just structured thinking highly mathematical. Um, you know sometimes out of the box concepts there's a lot of similar things like in security for instance um complexity is the enemy of security a lot of times Um, complexity is necessary in certain systems right but everything should be reduced down to its simplest form and in a lot of instances when you would find security flaws it would be that things were over that were over complex unnecessarily right and maybe they lacked say clever concepts to do things in simpler ways and frankly um, tent design is kind of a lot like that and the offshoot of that is while i was an i.t and i was actually very good at it i had a high aptitude for that kind of stuff Um, I did not have an actual passion for it. It was just like a day job. I was like, you hear about those professional football players that are good at it, but don't really love football. Right. That was, that was like me. Right. So I knew that my ceiling was capped by my lack of love for it. What I actually loved was the outdoors. Um, and the day job was just the way to support my family and my passions to go pursue getting outside. So there's a lot more common than, than it really seems when you start to dig underneath.
1: Yeah. Sounds like it. So that passion for the outdoors, where did that stem from? Did you, uh, did you grow up, uh, were you able to experience the outdoors growing up?
2: Oh yeah. I, I grew up very rural and in Wisconsin, uh, central Wisconsin on some acreage. I was in boy scouts. I hiked, I fished every chance I got. Um, there used to be this, uh, bluff that I used to hike up that was maybe three, four 500 feet or something. I thought it was amazing. You could see 30, 40 miles from the top. Um, by my great aunt's place, there was this tall rock formation that you could climb. It was kind of technical. I didn't, I didn't know, but I mean, I used to just ride my bike everywhere, ride it to my friends. Some days I would ride 50, 60, 70, 80 miles um, going to different trout streams. And if the trout weren't biting, I would find some place to hike. Um, I did crazy stuff on my bike too. One time I hiked it up this bluff on a game trail thinking it would be fun to, uh, try to ride down the game trail. Um, I, I, I like to joke that that was my indoctrination into mountain bike. because I ended up, you know, laying on the ground, wondering what the heck happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Cause you got on this runaway hill without brakes that were capable of stopping and stuff like that on some sort of three speed or five speed bike or something like that. Um, so yeah, I was very passionate. I shot bows. I hunted, I hunted right out of my rural property because I knew the farmers and stuff around me and they gave me permission to hunt small game and things like that.
1: Yeah, that's cool, man. Uh, you can uh, you can tell your passion is proof in your product. Uh, your first tent, you said you sold. You sold it to somebody in Northern Canada. That's really putting your product to the test. Did you get uh, any feedback on that tent?
2: Well, um, I'd love to give the person a new tent if they ever hear me on a podcast. <laughs> and, uh, unfortunately, I don't think we have the data of that very first order. Um, or And even if we did, it's been a long time. There's no guarantee that they were there. Right. I did find, they did send some positive comments. I know that they went to their very first use was that spring and they went across the Mackenzie river and killed the ox. So it must've been, it must've been good enough, good enough for that. And they sent some photos over the first couple of years. And early on, I ended up a lot of times knowing quite a few of our customers, you know, um, not so much anymore. You know, there's no way anymore, you know, now customer service knows some of our customers, but the first three or four years, a lot of times I would have pretty in-depth discussions about needs, desires, the type of hunting they did with prospective customers. And so I had a pretty good, pretty good personal knowledge of them.
1: Yeah. Cool. So how long did it take you to realize that a uh, outside side was going to be a major player? Like, um, you know, and I guess quit your day job.
2: Well, so early on, I kept my day job and my wife worked the business, right? Angie. Um, that probably happened for four years. Um, and also in my, and that, that created some comfort, right? Um, and we did that for a few reasons. One, seek outside I didn't want us having to make decisions based on money, right? Right. Sometimes, um, companies get hungry or they need the money and they can't support the customer. I always wanted us to, uh, do the right thing. So by me maintaining my day job, um, it allowed us to really do the right thing and take the time and work on the quality work on the customer, um, interactions and make sure that we did everything right i mean honestly quite frankly early on some of our first products were still quite good occasionally we get them back to repair a stove jack or a zipper or something and some of these tents have probably had a thousand nights in the field and other than dirt in the zipper or something they're doing pretty well um so they they've still you know the the early ones were still quite good um but i think That that allowed us, you know, and it wasn't like uh, when I first left my day job, things weren't still trepidatious, I guess you would say. I mean, it was kind of really like, okay, I hope we can make ends meet here, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after a year, I started to think, you know, um, I think this has some potential. So after a year of being off my day job, I thought there was more potential in that. Then trying to go back and work. Um, and then it really just kind of took off after that, you know, we really started to, um, refine what we did. And, uh, for a la- lot, and that based with some of the brand, I guess you would say feedback or some of the brand per- perception, um, and having, very good products in multiple um product lines um started to make the whole thing really go quite well so and um, it's been a enjoyable ride since then it, it really has
1: yeah yeah no doubt what's uh you know um 2020 was a crazy year, uh, COVID. I know um, there was a lot of businesses, uh, the outdoor industry in particular, that uh, seemed to flourish during the pandemic. I mean, others, unfortunately, they, they were devastated. But how did you guys manage uh, through the pandemic? Were you able to keep up?
2: Well, that was really odd. You know, the first, the first when it happened, I remember pretty much the day my wife, Angie, was like, holy shit we're, yep. fucked, we're screwed whatever right mm-hmm. yeah um i said be patient let's see how this pans out you know uh, positive things that that could happen um from the pandemic are that we support control a lot of our supply and production um the outdoors looks to be a positive place to go right um you know people what people don't want is to gather inside um and stuff like that so i said let's just see and react and do what we can do um we decided to refocus on our our podcast because we're like well podcasts are easy to do remotely um and things like that we sent a lot of people home we moved a lot of people with sewing machines home and our staff did an excellent job susanna angie Uh, everyone involved in an excellent job, making sure we could still make product and uh, about four or five days went by and all of a sudden it was like someone turned on the faucet and we were just super busy from there on out. And we, you know, everything we made, we could have sold easily. We could have sold, you know, quite a bit more product than we even did. Um, is my belief and it was a very good year and this year it's kind of continued that way now there's been some frustration and supply chain issues along the way um and obviously the labor market is a little struggling at this moment um people don't seem to love the idea of actually having a job but those things you know are stuff that everyone's dealing with
1: Yeah. Yeah. In uh, my industry, I can relate to that. It's frustrating, Um, you know, but uh, I think we're a little behind you guys and coming out of this, but I think we're, we're moving in the right direction. That's for sure. So Kev, I wanted to talk uh, a bit about packs and then maybe kind of get into the tents, but uh, Mm so, so tell us a bit about your packs, you know, um, you know, maybe how you guys transition, you know, you said you, you originally started with tents, but kind of how you got into making packs and, you know, uh, You kind of already said how long you've been making them, but, you know, maybe some obstacles you overcome, you overcame in the process, that sort of thing?
2: Oh, we had a shit ton of obstacles. Um, So the genesis of the packs was really that I had these lightweight tents that I could, and stoves, right, Um, that I could go out and backpack in the mountains with. But every pack I bought seemed to weigh seven, eight pounds, right? um so i got a couple packs from like thrift store or garage sale right i've just kind of accumulated and collected packs and i started screwing around with them and i don't want to make this sound like it's all about me because it isn't there's another part of the story that comes in um i started screwing around with them and i just kept thinking to myself you know i think you can make a pack that could work for hunting in the three to four pound range And I was basing this off of an old small framed external frame pack that I found. Uh, um, it had a bent frame. I paid like five bucks for it and I bent the frame and I thought, you know, the pack bag on it's heavy, but you can make a lighter pack bag. So every time when hunting season came along, I started thinking there's gotta be a better way, right? There's gotta be a better way here. Um, Fast forward a little bit. Um, this guy, Nathan Coleman, who was a customer who bought a tent from us. And like I said, I got to know a lot of our customers pretty well in those early years. He was doing his first Western hunt and he came out here with his buddy and I pointed him to a spot, which I don't share hunting spots anymore, but I did at that time with him. Um, so I pointed him to a spot, um, and he goes out there with his buddy, and he had a very high-end pack. And I told him it was going to get wet and drenched with water. And he said, "No, it's not. It never rains in Colorado, um, and stuff like that." Fast forward, his buddy's mom, mother-in-law, was having problem, heart problems, I think. And he left, went home. Um, he was Nathan was just married. His wife was worried about him. So I went up to his camp, took him some beer, um, hung out a little bit. He heard a bugle. He moved camp, relocated camp. Um, weather turned really horrible. Um, he watched elk for a couple of days, got into a pinch point and killed a magnificent bull with his bow, like a 320 bull. Uh, OTC, public land, first elk hunt. Then he gets the uh, pleasure of packing it out with his high-end pack which he didn't work nearly as well as he expected and he had had a lot of packs and it bruised him up it gained a lot of weight in the crappy weather um it put all the weight on his shoulders his hips and stuff were torn up um he wasn't happy so he goes back to tennessee and he just starts buying packs off of like craigslist or forum classifieds and he's determined that i'm not going to live through that misery again right he goes and he buys these packs and he loads them with 100 pounds takes them for a couple mile walk around his neighborhood and stuff and he talks to me about like and i had told him you know i do think there's a better way out there i think fundamentally you can make a really great pack in the three to four pound area. I haven't quite figured that out. Um, so he had done this with like 30 different packs and occasionally he had a pack that was pretty good and, but it would be heavy and he'd be like, what can we do? Could we make, Could you make a carbon frame? So I chased down a couple of those things and I'd be like, well, yeah, you totally make a carbon frame for it. But it's going to cost you about 7,000 bucks just for that one frame but you'll have a lighter, lighter pack. Um, and in my desire for simplicity and clever, simple solutions, we just started kind of talking about the fundamentals of packs and breaking it down, right? And I said, what you need is something to distribute, load from here to here with a bag that does the, I mean, if you really break it down and we kind of agreed on that and then we decided to each throw like 500 bucks in and just see if we could come up with something and so we started messing around with pvc frame options that provided the very minimal thing and then he had a aha moment in epiphany which was the articulating frame in there and i had advocated for a waterproof packed fabric because, you know, my stuff had gotten soaked before and I just thought rain covers were generally, an ineffective idea because I try to push through. I say, oh, it's not, I'll get super wet. Next thing you know, you're drenched or you're hiking around with this rain cover on and it blows off Yeah. when you get to a ridge, you know, I was like, you know, what about this different fabric X pack? And we just kind of started working through it and. Then we built a couple really ugly prototypes. And I mean, literally it was this aluminum frame and we duct taped some foam to it, robbed a harness off of something else. I had one of our our sewers make a belt that I thought would work. And we went and hiked, I went and hiked with it. He went and hiked with one similar, I'd go hike with 60, 70 pounds in places that I didn't think anyone would see me because it really just looked like a contraption going out there. And we thought this had legs. We really did. Um, thought, you know, this is, uh, this is a new level. And I think that we can get to three to four pounds in there. Um, so we kind of took our requirements and we, and we said, we think we can, and we decided to each put a few thousand dollars down. I forget what it was. It was like five or 6,000, maybe seven, somewhere in there to, or maybe that was how much we put combined, I forget. But that was what we decided to build some prototypes and send some out for testing. And it was a very different beast. Um, There was a lot of reluctance um, on adoption early on because it was such a fundamentally different concept. I will say that it's much easier to make a pack that looks like a pack that people have been used to say, seeing and make some sort of modest incremental change that they find a benefit and go out there and try to market it like, hey, this pack is just like this other pack that you kind of like, but we improve this feature, right? That's like an easy sell, right, to people because it gives them a reference point. Um, it's harder to sell something that is like a totally different looking contraption. And it was. We had adjustable frame heights, um, different belt settings, uh, different ways a harness could be configured. Um, We had this compression panel that we really relied on a lot, waterproof fabrics that had never been seen really in the hunting industry and really hadn't even been used in the backpacking industry very much. So it was, that was really kind of, you know and i didn't come from a marketing background at all so early on seek outside was poorly marketed um poorly to the thing of where we would release products and people would talk online like geez it looks kind of a neat concept but god could they try to like sell something to me um you know they didn't take very good they got like three photos and that's it you know um so we try to do much better and to have much cleaner product releases now planned. Of course, we have to when you have a lot of moving parts. But early on, that was just a challenging, um, just a, the the looks of it was challenging, um, and the fact that it was so different. But then the feedback from users was generally excellent. So over time, we integrated in some of the feedback um to fit try to fit different body types fit more people better um things like that make it look a little more you know like a regular pack but it still really doesn't but as far as how they're regarded yeah they they're it was it was essentially i had no interest in recreating all the flaws that i perceived um and other packs or all the things that didn't work for me or people I knew near me very well. So it was like, why, why recreate those in some new product, start over, you know? Yep. Um, start over from a different foundation. Uh but yeah, it was a little hard for people to wrap their heads around.
1: Yeah, cool. Well, uh, you know, up here in in British Columbia, we can definitely relate to um, you know, the moisture up here, you know, in the backcountry you get a lot of a lot of A lot of weather, a lot of rain, a lot of sleeting. Uh, I'm the same way as you. I can't stand those rain covers. I just, I I hate the process. I mean, even though it's not a big deal, take your pack off, pull the cover, put it on, but I just, I hate doing it. So,
2: they're like the stupidest idea. And the fact that a whole industry has put a band aid on a problem and people have been, it's like buying a new car that, isn't waterproof or something. And you're like, well, you got to put this on if it starts raining. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And the simple, more elegant.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, last year I, I rocked, uh, one of the elbow packs and, um, you know, it, it's a great pack. It's got lots of easy accessible pockets. Um, you know, the material it's quiet, which is good. I mean, I do a lot of still hunting and a lot of, you know, bum crawling when I'm archery hunting. So I like, um, you know, that aspect of it. And, you know, it was a, it was a good strong pack, you know, I packed out, you know, two bear and elk, mountain goat, three deer and a cougar in that thing last year. And, you know, it, uh, you know, I, I put it through the ringer and it held up, but um, in British Columbia, I mean, very little do we get out and, and it's not wet or raining or, you know, um, I found it, uh, it got heavy really quick with the material that it's, uh, that it's made out of. So,
2: they do, and they don't dry out very well.
1: Yeah, and that, that was another thing, and, um, you know, that's kind of what I want to talk to you about your tents and, and your and your stoves is um, is the heater and stuff, but uh, um, we can get into that uh, in a little bit here. So um, that's one question I kind of had for you was, now I heard a lot of guys talk about your packs being the most comfortable packs out there, you know, they're kind of like the, the Cadillac of packs, but, you know, in terms of durability, how would you say your pack's, you know, or, or what is it that your packs have that, you know, kind of helps them stand up to the elements of, you know, um, heavy pack oats and, and uh, weather and all that sort of thing. You kind of touched on the material there. It's it's a, it's a waterproof material. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. Um, <clears throat> so people attacked us for durability early on, right? They they did. They went full scale in the hunting community. There's no way a sub four pound pack can be durable they must be using thin materials
1: yeah and i think it's it's that perception that you know you need that heavy tubed frame for it to be capable of packing out you know a moose quarter or an elk quarter um but you know so maybe if you could just talk about so how it held up
2: was, the reality was that we just had a very stripped down design right like if it didn't have a real purpose to serve it was gone You know, there wasn't fluff to try to make it look good on a store shelf Mm -hmm. to make it look like, well, I got my 12 pockets here. I mean, I'm, I don't think you need a whole lot of pockets. I think like our banner is practically perfect. Any more pockets than that? I think you start to get confused. Um, but I mean, we really came at it from a very, very backpacking efficiency standpoint. We came at it from. It needs to be a very efficient design you know not a design that you know makes you think it has all the bells and whistles we're not making it for a store shelf um we're not doing that we're going for straight up efficiency so our framing is tubular aircraft aluminum um aircraft aluminum and a tubular um setup is is very strong and light um, as well Um, So we messed around with various sizes we did mess around with carbon we built some we messed around with carbon and aluminum combined and we felt that there was very little benefit um, beyond a good. um, aircraft aluminum now we also don't have a ton of framing, I mean we put the absolute minimal frame to do the job. Um, which going back to the previous discussion about feeling like looking at it, being like, we want to distribute load from here and here to here. And that is all we need to do. Um, that was really the approach. So it ended up making a lightweight frame. Um, then our approach to everything else we used 500 denier Cordura, I mean the people that were attacking us, um, the durability, how could a pack that light be durable? You know, we used very durable materials, the same stuff USA made that everyone else was claiming, well, you know, that people like Mystery Ranch and all them were using, right? Um, What we did was we were very select in our reinforcement, very precise in our construction methods um, and how we did things so we could get away with lighter materials. I mean, the fact that, you know, one inch webbing is on all these packs, it looks tougher and stronger. Um, And there's maybe some modest benefit in some of the hardware because there's more mill spec hardware, but the fact three quarter webbing is strong enough to compress any hunting load you're ever gonna need. You know, it has a break strength of like 700 pounds or something. so that was really our approach, was very selective reinforcement, strengthen in places. And we weren't being light by reducing the quality of the materials. We were being light by being much more efficient in our approach.
1: Right. So while we're on the conversation of frames, and now I know you guys have two different styles of backpacks, you have the integrated and the breakaway. Maybe mm-hmm. you could just quickly uh, tell us what those are.
2: Um, they're actually exactly the same. Um, the difference is that the frame panel on the breakaway allows the bag allows it to be used as just a hauler. Uh, it allows the bag to be separated. For instance, um, we sell more integrated packs than we do breakaway. By, oh really? Uh, by, by a fairly large amount. Oh, no well, kidding.
1: I figured, you know, just with, it seems like the, you know, that, that frame style where you have the meat shelf between the bag is, is pretty popular these days. It
2: is very popular, but we do sell more integrated. We do sell quite a bit in the rec industry still. Right. Um, and, but like where the, in it, where the breakaway is really used a lot is search and rescue, you know, just oh, about wow, yeah. everything we sell to search and rescue groups is breakaway because they want to use them for carrying vac mats, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that, um, litters, all of that. Um, and they are, I mean, the breakaway is probably in the hunting world for us is probably used about 50 50. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of very well known hunters that prefer integrated backpacks. I mean, Ryan Lampers, um, he prefers integrated, you know, he runs various backpacks that are, that are load shelf style, but that's because that's, what's available in the hunting market, right? Mm -hmm. He, He, he still prefers just throwing an animal in the bag and walking. Um, you know, there's, so there's people that have a preference one way or the other. I prefer just putting meat in the bag usually myself especially with the materials we use it cleans up really well um you know the breakaway is is nice but it does add some extra complexity and some extra weight so you can save about eight ounces and so i'll often make the decision like well where do i want to put that eight ounces right i could i could take a day pack for 12 ounces, you know, I, I would rather have a day pack, you know, cause I, I look at even hunting trips and backpacking. I generally look at mostly being efficient. So I look at what is going to be my primary use cases. Um, if I can run over this ridge to glass with a day pack, instead of carrying a big pack, Okay. That's more efficient. Um, things like that. Um, or if I can do it this way, that's more efficient. And I include sleep quality, um, and that part and being dry as part of the efficiency. So it's not just a all about the weight, but you know, if two packs do the same and one of them weighs a pound less, And I feel that there's very little functional difference. I'm going to take the one that's a pound less.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, myself, I prefer the breakaway. I mean, but, you know, I'm lazy. I would rather carry twice as much and only carry it once. So um, I I hate doing multiple trips if I don't have to. I'll I'll, uh, suffer through the weight. again i mean everybody's different and uh you know i'd like to think i'm still young enough to get away with that but it's uh, catching up on me um
2: well i don't know how old you are but uh you can get away with that stuff at the younger time frame a lot of times and i hate to sound like an old fogey but (laughs) as you get older it's a little harder to get away with it because the injuries can be a little more time-consuming to resolve.
1: Yeah, man, the recovery time. I notice I'm 42, and, uh, yeah, I notice it now. It's not so much the pain. It's just how long it takes to get over it. I mean, when you're in your 20s, you're, man, you're like Superman. You can get well, when you're bruised your 20s, up.
2: I could care. When I was in my 20s, I probably could carry six bottles of scotch in the back country. <laughs> you know?
1: Uh, I yeah. <laughs> get up
2: one the one next afternoon. morning you know? Yeah. And, and, and be good and wake up the next morning and do it again and not even feel like I did anything bad, you know, like what? <laughs> but yeah, when you get older, like it comes a little harder, you know, it's like, whoa, I feel like I drank a bottle of scotch last night.
1: Yeah, no doubt, man. No doubt. So I was looking at your packs this winter and I was on your website. And one thing I thought that was extremely cool was that you could custom build a pack um you guys have on your website there can you talk a bit about that
2: yeah um we've been doing the custom pack builder for a couple of years um it's really not a full custom pack right so it's not a thing of like contact us and be like you know i really would like a panel zip at 7000 with this no it's really kind of more of a mr potato head or lincoln logs kind of approach um pick a size of pack bag Pick your fabric colors. um, Pick the style of pocketing that we have and where you want it to go. Um, It's been quite popular. It does have a longer lead time, though. um, And it is a little bit more expensive. There have been some. I went through and did a lot of data crunching on the custom packs. Oh probably two months ago and there is a fairly um, fairly big trend there I mean it frankly seems like 70% of the packs fit into the same two or three changes that people are making like people are making like basically integrated lanners, or they're going with, they're changing to asymmetrical side pockets, like a tall pocket on one side and a short bottle pocket on the other, um, or they're making, you know, big packs that are a little lighter, or they're doing a couple couple different colors. Um, so I think I don't want to say it's going to go away. I think um, later this year we might. Change up our pack line a little bit for 2022 and use some of that data to maybe better meet that and maybe cull a couple other things that we don't think are necessarily quite the best sellers or quite the best options. Right. Um, because buying our standard packs is a faster, simpler delivery. Um, it's it's hard to make a custom make custom packs in say 6 8 10 weeks consistently mm-hmm. um, especially when we get a lot of orders um, you yeah. know if we, if we can get people 99% there with a standard pack that we can make and keep in stock they're going to be
1: far better off yeah what's the average lead time on like a custom pack
2: right now they've been running more like 10 12 weeks um, we had a lot of pack. We were very busy in packs earlier this year. Um, I think we're still quite busy. I haven't checked recently. Um, but you just have to think that it needs to be cut. It needs to be cut from certain fabrics. Then it goes from there to being sewn by someone. And then there's different parts and pieces of it that come in at different times. So it ends up just being <clears throat> quite, I mean, I think we might be getting back into more of the six or eight week lead time, but if you really kind of break it down and flowchart it, um, even if you put the different steps in like three to five days each to complete, they just start to add up, Yeah, you know, like, well, this takes three days this takes five days to do this takes five days this we get back from five days next thing you know you're like well seven weeks is about a good time for it (laughs) you
1: know no yeah definitely yeah yeah for sure now one thing i also noticed was that you guys kind of have your own vocabulary for some of your parts and stuff do you guys get a lot of uh questions about that
2: We do, and it doesn't, and you are very correct that we have, we almost need our own terminology, right? Um, You know, we have gotten questions. We've gotten stuff mixed up. The thing is, is it's a different, it's just a very different platform, right? Mm -hmm. So our approach, if you really look at it our approach is different at almost every single level and some of the stuff we needed to make up names for (laughs) yeah it makes sense yeah you know we're like what should we call this yeah you know so that's kind of what it is um it's much easier if people get indoctrinated and understand our core concepts um and I know you shouldn't have to have a PhD to uh, to buy a backpack. And so we try to make it as simple as we can, but we do tend to sell to the far more geeky, obsessive backpack users a lot of the time um, that really understand backpacks. Um, sometimes we're a little bit too much for the new user. Um, that's actually one of the reasons that we did the flight series, which we haven't touched on because the flight series is just super simple. You know, oh, yeah. we, uh, removed a lot of the more complex stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was looking at your pack. So for, uh, you know, like a, a 10 day fly in caribou hunt that I'm going on in Northern BC this year, what would be a good tent for me to pick up for that. And your guys line?
2: A good tent
1: sorry. Well, uh, well, good tent. We're going to get into that a little later too, but uh, a good pack.
2: Well, that's funny because I'm doing a flying caribou hunt in Alaska. Oh, so um, I've just been thinking about that. Um, are you doing it? I take it you're base camping really, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We'll be base camping.
2: Yeah. You know, my plan is this. Um, and I know that I just eschewed the virtues of the integrated versus the breakaway. But my thinking is I am probably going to take a breakaway pack, probably just like uh, a fortress or goshawk with a day pack, just because then I can just dump the big pack Mm -hmm. at camp and cruise around with a day pack for the most part. Right. Yeah. Um, and in that case, hopefully we're in a good location. And so hopefully, and due to Alaskan rags, we're going to be hucking quarters a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like we're going to be deboning from seven miles back. Um, so the simple breakaway is going to have some benefit.
1: Yeah. Us. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, going to be sporting an SO pack here really soon, but, uh, you know, if we're, uh, we're just chewing up the clock here, buddy, you still, you still good on time?
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, sometimes these things can get out of hand. I mean, I'm probably going to take about a 5,500 com- combined size. Um, myself 55, six, some, somewhere in that right. range. Um, I'm not so super worried about it. Just because it is a fly-in hunt, you know, um, I'm still not going to get into super comfy. It's not like I'm going to start bringing canned soups and stuff like that. You know, it's mm-hmm. going to be mostly backpacking
1: gear. Yeah, yeah, you definitely have a little bit of leeway with uh, with the fly-in for sure. Yeah, yeah. Cool, man. Okay, well, I think I'm going to wrap up uh, our pack discussion because I really want to touch on. Um, I really want to talk about your tents now. Um, maybe you can just quickly describe your tents, you know, like the fundamentals of the, of the TP tent.
2: Okay. Well, they are a very strong, lightweight nylon, basically a parachute fabric that is siliconized, um, the silicone makes the fabric stronger. It does mean that you need to seam seal it yourself, um, because there's not a lot of good things that stick to silicone very well. Um, it's not efficient to try to tape it. Um, what a lot of the Asian manufacturers do is they're still on one side, PU on the other, and they tape the PU side. Those fabrics just aren't near as strong. Um, they are, they rip and tear easily and they propagate them easily. Uh, they're a center pole design, teepees, and they require good staking. Um, however, they perform very well in the wind. Um, the Indians use them for a reason, the Plains Indians. Um, so for their lightweight, um, for their weight, they do really well. They can be paired with a wood stove of different sizes. The wood stove can create a comfortable environment from when it's 20 or 10 degrees outside, you know, you can be comfortable. It also helps dry out stuff on more of an extended stay. So that's the genesis of the big tents Our lighter tents have a tendency to be more dialed. And then we have some mid-sized tents as well. The mid-sized tents like the Cimarron, um, maybe you consider Redcliffe a big mid-size it's somewhere between mid-size and large. Those are extremely popular tents. Um, I think almost anyone who goes outdoors much could use a Cimarron in their car um we saw a ton of those overseas um it was in a Toyota advertisement in Japan right um that your RAV4 should have a Cimarron with it <laughs> yeah I, I'm not kidding it was it was no genius on ours our end um and then we have smaller tents like the Silex Eolus which are really dialed vaporless. um they can be used with a stove or they can have a full bug inner um as well and when they're a full bug in or i mean they're essentially equivalent to like uh msr hubba style tent at that point because you have a floor you have sidewalls you're zippered up inside Mm. um and they perform well and they're very they're they're lighter i mean if i compared the YOLIS to say a hubba and i'm not trying to i'm not trying to degrade the hubba (laughs) at all because it's been a very popular and cop often copied tent you know your hubba is three and a half pounds or so for a two person you can get our eolus and it's like two pounds 12 ounces the hubba is maybe 35 square feet inside with some small vestibules Um, the eolus is maybe 40 square feet contained with um bigger bigger vestibules you can easily use the eolus as tarp alone if you're doing bivy or if you just want to save weight Mm -hmm. um they do very very it's done really well in the wind i've compared it to tunnel tents and wind storms and stuff like that and they definitely
1: hold their own yeah cool so um when are you going on your caribou hunt
2: um august 16th
1: august middle of august right okay so uh that's kind of cool that you're going you're heading up there for uh For caribou, um, I mean, myself, I'll be middle of September, so bugs will be a little less of an issue than uh, they will for you. But uh, instead of me asking you what kind of setup uh, I should have, maybe you can just tell me about your tent setup. Well, there's
2: there's four of us. Um, are you going solo or are you going
1: with a group? No, three people. So,
2: okay, so similar,
1: yep, similar. Yeah,
2: um, we're actually going to sleep in small tents, like uh silex oh yeah um we're going to sleep separately um so and then we're going to have probably like a red cliff six or eight is a gathering tent that's going to be fully fully set up to uh um fully set up for bad conditions with a stove in case it's needed um you know we're not it's not on our back so we can take a little bit of extra weight. Um, and you know, we all want to be able to sleep a little bit on our own instead of listening to your buddy snore. I mean, you can get away with that in the back country, um, taking some earplugs and stuff like that. But that is a setup we're doing. We're also going to stick a bear fence around our whole camp. So.
1: Right. Yep. Yep. Got one of those. That's a must.
2: How well do they work? Can you give us confidence in them?
1: Uh, I mean, I've never had it go off. Um, other than somebody accidentally touching it, um, getting zapped. But from what I hear, they, uh, they give you a good, good buzz. So
2: <laughs> I'm trying, to, I'm, I'm trying to mess with my hunting mates. I've been trying to be like, Hey, should we just, should we set up the fence and test it or should we just unbox it when we get
1: Yeah. It? Well, tell them that's part of it. Somebody has got to test it to make sure it's work. It's working. So you got to give it a little, little poke but uh no it's uh apparently I, I didn't do it i didn't follow suit but uh, apparently you got a good there was a yelp involved uh so uh, oh, really? yeah so it, it's uh i have never i've never had them go off but from what i hear they uh they work pretty good um and it's just i think it's peace of mind too it lets you have a
2: a large part of it is peace of mind it lets a you sleep part.
1: i mean if a, if a 600 pound um brown bear wants or grizzly wants to get in that uh unfortunately that fence ain't gonna ain't gonna stop them but uh, it's definitely a deterrent and again it's it's peace of mind i think which is huge
2: yeah i think the peace of mind part is super big in it you know yeah i mean it's a little it otherwise it takes a little bit of uh getting used to right i mean and you have a much different protocol
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, we, I grew up in, in northern BC and, um, we grew up along the ocean. So we're pretty familiar and pretty used to bears and, you know, how to act around them and, and, and stuff like that. So, uh, but, you know, for those who don't, yeah, it's definitely something you got to be, you got to be cognizant of, of, of what's going on with, uh, with the wildlife for sure.
2: Especially if you just got bloody, you know, yeah kind of caribou. <laughs> well,
1: yeah. And, and that's just it. I mean, you know, it's, it's in your boots, it's in your clothes. Um, you know uh so yeah that smell is going to be attracting some critters that's for sure mm-hmm. hopefully uh the stink of me will keep them away which is i think outweighs any any sweet smell of a of a fresh kill
2: when you've done it do you put your kill inside the fence too or do you store
1: no we keep it away? yeah we keep it outside uh we always hang it yeah just uh yeah. it's just a little too close for comfort for me you know what i mean uh, like
2: I, I would agree and that was kind of what i was what i was leaning to uh, but i was like "Hmm, i wonder i was like no no
1: yeah you know and i know guys that that do do it but again for me it's just a little too close for comfort i mean um you know as much as i cherish that meat i uh i cherish the meat on me a little lot more so
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> i agree on that one yeah
1: yeah now you know the tenting industry has changed a lot i mean uh you know a decade and a half two decades ago it's safe to say that you know wall tents and and pack horses um, were kind of the in thing you know just uh, strictly because I guess you know wall tents and were the only you know with the stove is the only integrated thing you could have in the backcountry and the only way to get it in really was you know with a pickup truck and a, and uh, or by horse so um, now you guys sort of pioneered um, the change in that industry by integrating a, a wood stove into a lightweight pack tent um maybe you can just talk a, a little bit about your uh about your stoves you know um you know how that all started and, well you actually kind of touched on that so we don't have to worry well about the that, stoves
2: but... part the stoves part was actually somewhat of a little afterthought um the first person we did a review wanted a stove and we had monkeyed around with some stove designs and we had bought a couple stoves but we weren't really super focused on getting into the stove market but as a general more overarching philosophy, I think going back to the way you think, right? Like packs the whole thing, how, how the disjointed um, industries I've worked in lead you into this, right? Um, I think when you take a very narrow look at something, a lot of times there's an improvement, especially if there's been some years right in between and a, you apply like fresh lenses and new technology to it right and you just take a different look and an example would be the Thermarest z pad right it's been the standard folding accordion folding style pad forever right and then within a relatively short matter um, both um, nemo and xped came out with improved concepts by combining foams and by making deeper channels um, now you could argue whether the whether the um, Exped ones an improvement it does it's not as small it is more bulky but it's definitely far more comfortable than a z-rest um, so I think when you take a very narrow very very narrow look and break down what it does you can make some improvements to stuff. So really with stoves, it was that, and we took a very narrow and open-minded look at it. We had some kind of wild features in our first few prototypes, Um, you know, where we had like removable ash pans that you could dump and things like that. In the end, we went with simple Mm -hmm. and what works. Uh, But that was really kind of the genesis of it right there. there. There was it was like, okay, let's really take a look at stoves and let's really just take it from like a fresh eyes perspective of looking at how to do stuff extremely reliably. And that was, that's where it ended up.
1: Yeah, they're, uh, they're pretty cool. And I'm, I'm pretty excited to try one out. Um, you know, maybe you can just explain to us a bit how the stove itself breaks down, you know, like like, um, you know, cause I mean, when you think of a stove and a tent, I mean, you know, I have a wall tent mm-hmm. and I have a stove. And when you think of that, I mean, you literally need, like I said, a pickup to get it into camp, right. Just mm-hmm. uh, it's big, it's bulky, it's heavy. So when you think about putting a stove in a backpack, you know, um, your immediate thought is like, well, it's going to be bulky and it's going to be, and it's going to weigh a lot, but with your guys, is it's not really the case. So maybe quickly, if you could just tell us how it breaks down and, and kind of, touch on the weight of it.
2: Yeah. I mean, they're packable. Um, so they break, down. we have two different versions. We have U-turn and we have, um, our standard stove, our standard stove. Um, basically they slide together with folds and then you use threaded rods to tighten the whole thing up. You don't want to tighten them too tight because as the titanium heats, it will expand a little bit. And if you over tighten it, you'll get a little more warpage. I mean, they are light. So we're talking that our big mama stove is maybe four and a half pounds with pipe. Um, and it's a big enough stove that you can put three or four big pieces of wood that you would buy at, at like the gas station in there. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can get a pretty substantive burn time with it. Um, that being said, it doesn't pack quite as small, but for the most part, they pack relatively to like a one inch, say thick. Uh, most of the lighter ones, one inch by whatever size, which might be 10 by 10 or 10 by 14 or something like that. So say you have 10 by 14 by one inch thick and a few pieces of hardware in a bag, that's basically a stove and then the stove pipe rolls up. Uh, um, it, it rolls long one way, it rolls like lengthwise and for being a pipe and then it rolls widthwise for storage and when you roll it width wise um, it ends up storing and it's like 11 and a half 12 inches long um, you can stick the damper spark arrestor around it so it ends up being a relatively the pipe like we have these stove storage containers which are frankly for the for the pipe part are frankly about the size of a tennis ball um, package and then you have a one inch by 10 by 14 flat little bag and some of the stoves are barely over two pounds so like i can i took out the last two years i've hunted when i've hunted solo it's been out of a cimarron ultralight which weighs about a pound and a half and then it's been uh and i've used like a large u-turn which weighs just a little over two pounds so like four pounds i have a decent sized tent with a wood stove, um, that really can keep me mobile moving anywhere I want in the mountains.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy how, how they break down. I, I've, uh, seen them broken down, but man, that's, uh, you know, for the amount of room it actually takes in your backpack, which is minimal. And I mean, the little bit of weight, it's, uh, it's definitely worth it to have, to be able to have a stove, um, especially when you're hunting, you know, up here, like the October months, or, uh, I know some guys even they use them well into November and stuff. So yeah, oh, we've
2: had people use them, you know, we have a fairly significant amount of people that use them winter camping as well. Oh yeah. Um, so, I mean, they, 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 they can be used, you know, we've had people that have lived in our tents throughout the winter as well. So I mean, they they can do the deal. Now I mean, just because you have a stove doesn't mean that you want to go from a 20 degree or 0 degree sleeping bag to a 50 degree cuz going to keep everything warm. Um, you know, you you're going to have to stoke them every couple of hours. Yeah. But you know, if it gets really really frigid, um it's far better to have some wood prepared that you need to stoke every couple hours instead of having your teeth chattering all night long.
1: You know, I know people who like to have a stove and they like to jam that thing full of wood and just get that thing red hot. Obviously, you know, um, you make stuff lightweight. It's obviously the the metal itself is, is going to be thinner. What kind of, you know, what's the max heat those stoves can hold?
2: Um, yeah. I mean, you can load them up.
1: Quite oh a bit. yeah, you can, eh?
2: Most of them, and the, so it depends on the box size. Like the big mama, you can put a lot of wood in, right? Okay. But then, like the cub, you can't put a. The cub is a twig burner, but oh, okay. But the it's still as a twig burner. Well, will um, will, uh, will heat your tent like a smaller size shelter pretty well. You're just going to feed it often. Um, big mama, you won't feed so often um anything sxl size and above so sxl xl you can really start to put you know three inch logs in and you can normally it's not so much about how much heat it's about dampening it down so the heat lasts longer and so it doesn't heat you out of the tent because a lot of the stoves can literally take you from getting back to camp when it's 15 degrees and you've been freezing your tail off and then 45 minutes later you're taking your shirt off and sweating
1: yeah Um, and i think anybody using a a tent and a stove has done that when you get back and you're cold and you just want to heat up so you you just jam as much wood as you can there and fire that damper wide open but yeah like you said uh, yeah
2: and there's a a lot of variables because there isn't really a one-size-fits-all because in the case of the stoves and tents, there are a lot of variables in our world. Um, But, you know, like shelter size, um, temperature, how sensitive you are to cold, right? Um, You know, how wet it is, you know, if it's wetter, uh, I favor more stove um, versus drier, fluffy snow. Um, And there's times that The stove can keep, you know, can do remarkably well. Like I've, I mean, it can create heat remarkably well all the time, but I've had times when some snow has fallen in the night, creating a little insulation layer on the tent. And all of a sudden you wake up three hours later and you're like, well, it's still kind of warm in here. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's just, that's just a atmospheric weather pattern sort of thing that, creates favorable conditions. I would never go out and be like, I'm just going to wait for snow and then it will work great. No, because once you open the tent, it's going to be cold.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So one thing I think people might be skeptical about when it comes to stoves in a tent is the chance of, you know, uh, the tent burning down with them in it. Um, can you talk a bit about, you know, just, um, you know like like fireproof and stuff like that like the material maybe just chill people's mind on that issue a bit
2: um well we use a welding cloth where it exits where it exits the tent a waterproof welding cloth um we've never really had a case of anything like that happening um for the most part um you might get an ember hole or something, which is easy to fix with a dab of silicone. That's the most, the vast majority of people ever had. That being said, you know, if you've got a stove in there raging and your tent falls down for some reason, well, yeah, something like that probably could happen, mm-hmm. right? But, um, or if you set your stove in a lot of really tall grass, right? And that's dry or something. I mean, be, be smart about yeah, it.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, hopefully that's common sense and don't do yeah. that.
2: <laughs> right. At some point, And I hate to say it this way because I really advocate getting people out into the woods a lot, right. Regardless of their skill level, but you know, sometimes there's things people do in the woods I have done things that aren't very bright in the woods either. And look back at them and I'm like, wow, that was a stupid thing to do. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, stupid user tricks. Right. Um, you, you have to use some common sense, you know, um, I could to put people's mind at ease. I know of so few incidences and I know some of our tents have probably had thousand plus use days some of our older ones and we sell thousands of tents per year for this intended purpose that really unless you really screw things up bad um it shouldn't be an issue
1: Mm -hmm. cool man um you know we're uh we're using up a lot of time here, Kev. So I think, uh, I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, is there anything else you want to add that we, that maybe we didn't go over quickly for the, for the tents and backpacks?
2: No, not really. I mean, um, you know, if you have any, if you, we can, you can find us on Facebook, seek outside. You can join our adventures group. Seek outside adventures on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on YouTube. Um, you can contact us. We have experts, you know, people that have been, using our tents for quite a long time, doing our customer support. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Um, yeah. We really value um, a respectful relationship um, with the customer. We give you the best advice we can. We don't blow smoke up your ass, so to speak.
1: Yeah. One thing I wanted to, I was going to plug you guys on was uh, was your customer service. Um, it's next to none. Um the best experience I had. I mean, uh, I had a few questions, uh, you know, and, uh, Oh, and he got back to me right away. And, um, you know, not only was an immediate response, um, but you know, he also did a follow-up, which I thought was, was pretty amazing. I mean, you know, we all know you guys are busy. You got lots going on, uh, just to be able to take time for your customers. Uh, it, it goes a long way, yeah. especially the ones way up here in, uh, in Canada.
2: We want to make sure that you get it as close to right as possible. You know, I mean, I don't really want to, I don't wanna sell you a product just to sell you a product. I've told people before that I don't think our product fits what they want very well. Um, and the funny thing is they usually come back and buy something from us, I think because they value that respectful approach. Yeah. Uh, that you're willing to, that you're willing. And I, I don't want this to come across the wrong way. Um, and of course, knock on wood, business has been very good we're several weeks behind and I don't want it to be like, well, we don't need customers because that's, that's not the case. Um, customers are a big part of our success. Right. But we don't need to sell stuff just to sell stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, man. Um, hey, what are the chances of uh code side, maybe getting a distributor up here in Canada to help out with some of that uh, ugly Canadian duty that our government loves to charge us?
2: Next to zero. <laughs> We've been through that. Um, getting the tents certified there is so complicated. We've had some people trying to run down that, um, and it's come down to Canada. Canadians can buy from us all day, all they want, as long as it isn't sold in a store there. Right. Yeah. yeah I do no. think there is one guy up there, Bill that we met at the wild sheep show that i do think sells stoves occasionally
1: but i don't know
2: to what level
1: yeah cool no it was uh there's a shot in the dark man but uh you never know hey
2: eh? yeah i know we've been we've been down that road but uh that's kind of what it comes down to right there in a nutshell.
1: Yeah. What about uh, your podcast? Great stuff on there. Where can uh, Canadians listen to uh, the Seek Outside podcast?
2: We are on iTunes, the Seek Outside podcast. Um, We have some interesting interesting people on. Um, We should have an episode coming out with Chris Parrish, who's part of uh, the non-lead, I forget, non-lead initiative and also part of the Peregrine Fund uh former wildlife biologist um really entertaining discussion with him um to totally engaging guy and when it comes to non-led I mean I've I've had some reservations that I have that I expressed to him based on my personal experience he gives the science but he's also you know, sometimes you have the right messenger at the right time, right? Um, you need those two for a message to really be good. And I think he's absolutely the right guy at the right time to talk about that.
1: Cool. Well, I look forward to that. And uh, again, man, thanks a ton for uh, for coming on the show. I know you're busy and uh, you got a lot of stuff going on, so I'm going to let you get back to it. Awesome. Thank you.